We are continuing our conversation on momentum. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about how many times our life pushes us and what we want to do is be able to take control of those things and not allow the past to dictate what we do in the future. And so as we get started, let's pause, let's take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to bless this time this morning. Father, we are grateful for an opportunity to come together and in your name, Jesus, sit and look to the scripture and allow you to speak to us. And we pray that you would. We pray that we would be attentive to your spirit's voice. We pray that we would lean in to hear all that you would have for us, that we would fight off distraction. And God, that we would step into this moment and allow it to change us and to begin a new work and lead us in a new direction, a healthy direction for our lives. Again, we pray that you would be honored here and we thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about this momentum and Two weeks ago, we started with love and intimacy, and we talked about how from the very beginning, God created us to need this companionship. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And remember, this was before the fall, before anything transpired that caused a separation between us and God. It was still not good that man was alone. And so this need that we have inside of us for companionship is something God-given, And we saw that as life goes on, a lot of times there are things that cause fractures in this dynamic. We have betrayal, uh, we have pride, we have hurt that kind of causes us to then resist this need that we have. Well, I want this companionship, but I'm carrying this baggage with me, and how do I get past it? And we looked at how there is depth into this development of intimacy, that it starts with transaction. You have to get to know someone. This conversation begins simply with, how are you, how's your day, and simple talk. And that's always a part of our lives, but it needs to go deeper if we're going to have a more intimate relationship. And so then we talked about developing that understanding of history. Who is this person? What are they about? What are the things that are coming along with them so that we have now a deeper understanding? And then we also talked about the mystery, the mystery of who we are. God has created us and we are spirit as well as body, as well as soul. And all those things work together and we are constantly growing, constantly changing, and we need to constantly be learning about one another. And that mystery is an important part of that. And it all takes place in the conversation at the beginning. And it's dangerous to try and jump too quick, too soon. Too quick and too soon are the same thing. But you know, too deep, too soon into that intimate relationship because we weren't made to just jump into that. It takes development and then it takes commitment. And then we looked last week at habits and addictions. And once again, we saw that God has created us in his own image. And it's interesting because he says that we were created in his image so that we could rule 
the animals that were there. God made man in his image so that they could rule. And so we saw that from the beginning, God has created us, but with intention, with a purpose, that there was a design that we were to rule, and the rule isn't just we are to conquer, we are to be lording over. It was that we were to be in charge of, custodians of. We were to represent God in the creation that we're living in. But what happens is because we have this need to have this work, if you want, we were created with this image that is pushing us into this needing to have this custodial application. When we don't fit into that, when we don't step into that, we start to take control of our lives or want control of our lives, and many times we do it in unhealthy ways. And so to have a feeling of control when life is going crazy, then we go to drink, we go to food, we go to cutting, we go to the different things that are now causing injury to our soul instead of health. And and what we need isn't just to recognize that something is wrong. Most people who struggle in areas of addiction or bad habits know that those areas are wrong. What needs to happen is we need to step into what is right and get our lives moving again in a healthy direction because it fulfills the purpose that we were created and intended for. And many times the reason God doesn't do something in our lives is because we are unwilling to do anything. And so we are in a position where we just stay in that same habit because it gives us a sense of control but it's a bad habit, and that starts to develop into a pattern that develops into our lives. Well, today we're going to continue, and we're going to be talking about power, and we're going to be talking about influence. And if you have a copy of the Scriptures, turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to read verses 23 to 41. What we have here is an instance where Paul has just left some of his fellow travelers, and he is in Ephesus. And while he is here in Ephesus, we see some things take place that I I think are interesting. Verse 23 says, About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way, that is, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. They're known as the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we have a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger, not only that our trade will be, will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristocrats, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. 
I love that. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody. The courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. It's so interesting that Paul moves into a city and because of his influence on these people, it starts to disrupt the business. You see, we all have influence in one way or another. If you're a parent, you have influence over your children until they're about teenagers, and then they start influencing you. But don't worry, because then you get really old and they have to care for you, so you influence them back, so you get the last word, okay? But you have influence over your children, and maybe you're here because of the person next to you. They have influenced you to actually be here. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that person. You have influence at work or at school. We all have influence with the people around us, it really depends on what kind of influence that is. Is it going to be a good influence or is it going to be a bad influence? But we have this kind of influence. And what we see taking place here in this story is Paul brings such change in this city that it starts affecting the commerce. The reason they were upset was because so many people were coming to faith in Jesus that they stopped buying the idols. Business went down. Why is business down? Because Paul is influencing people and they're, stop, they're stopping this idolatrous worship and they're no longer coming to us for business. It's affecting us. And what an amazing thing that this faith in Jesus could actually affect a city because of how people started spending or stopped spending their money. And even as they said in the story, it's not just in Ephesus, it's all of Asia. This is getting out of hand. And, and so we see that Paul didn't raise up, you know, we're going to put on the ballot, vote no on, you know, Artemis. 
You know, we're, we're going to stop this, make sure it doesn't spread anymore. No, he just started influencing the people, and the power of that influence changed the economy of the city, which is, I think, the proper way to do things. And we need to understand that at the time that Paul was taking care of this, at the time of Christ, if you were to worship God, it was to involve sacrifice. If you were a pagan, a Roman, a Gentile somewhere, your worship involved offering sacrifices to your God, whatever God that was. And it might include an idol, like they showed here, but even if you were a Jew, your worship of God involved sacrifice. It was written in the law, the Mosaic law, how to follow these guidelines. And so worship in the world at this time involved sacrifice. And then here comes these followers of Jesus. And they are no longer offering sacrifices. And it was the strangest thing. How do you worship God? What, what is your sacrifice? Oh, we don't offer a sacrifice. Well, then your worship can't be of any value because there's no offering. You see, this is how we equate the value of worship is what you bring. Did you bring a bull? Did you bring a goat? Did you just bring a dove? Did you bring a squirrel? Because that's all you could afford. I mean, what is it that you're bringing to this offering to your God? And then here are these followers of Jesus and they're not bringing anything and guess what? That's affecting business. All the people who would use the animals for offerings. Hey, business is down. Why? These followers of Jesus, they're changing the way people worship. They're not buying idols in Ephesus. They're not buying sacrifices in Jerusalem or in the other parts of the area. They're actually changing our culture but they're not buying anything. And so the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He goes on, he says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is, this is the true and proper worship. And the word that he uses for body, it doesn't just mean your physical body. If we were to try and translate it in a, lang or a word that was more encompassing that we would understand, it would be your person. Present all of who you are as a living sacrifice. So here at the time that he's writing this, people are offering the bulls, they're offering the goats, they're offering the lambs, they're offering these animals to sacrifice to their God because this is how they worship. And Paul says, it's over. There is no more sacrifice. You don't have to do anything to appease God. He has been appeased through Christ. Now what is necessary is for you to offer all of who you are to God to offer your whole person to God. Now, what is our person? Well, it's who we are and what we think, but it's also the things that we do. It's also how we live. 
And so we're not offering this animal as a sacrifice, but now it is me, all of who I am that is offered to God so that he can use the totality of my being in a way that will honor him. And he says, this is the true and the proper worship. And what happens many times is we reduce worship and it becomes less than what is intended. We don't see worship as influence. We don't see worship as having power and yet we see that it was actually changing all of the culture that Paul was in that people could not ignore it, they would start almost rioting because of the effect this worship was having on them. What effect are you having? What influence are you having in the world around you? Maybe it's at the workplace, at school, with your family. What influence are you yielding? And do you realize the influence that you have and what it should be or what it could be. Because it's important that we recognize God wants us, our whole being, to be an avenue of worship that influences the world around us. Another passage we're going to look at is in Luke 16. Jesus gives a parable here. And it's one of those interesting parables. As you read it, you start to kind of tilt your head like when a dog hears a whistle and they go, huh? It's like, what, what's he trying to say here? And in chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So he's getting fired. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Oops, where did I go? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, there's so much about this story that just makes you ask questions. Because Jesus isn't saying what this guy did was good to steal his master's stuff. Because that's really what he did. It wasn't his to give away. He's not saying, yeah, the guy did a great thing. What he's saying is he was shrewd. He was wise because he recognized the opportunity that he had and he took it. What was that opportunity? Is he used wealth to gain friends? 
And again, you ask a question, is that okay? Do you buy friends? Is that something we could do? How many friends do you have? Not many. I don't have a lot of money, you know. The whole idea, though, is that, you see, the relationships are what carry you, not the money. But what the money did was afford him the ability to invest in the relationships. I know a lot of people who are without work, but because they knew someone, got a job. Anyone here land a job because you knew somebody? Right? Anybody here not have a job? No, don't worry. (laughs) Sorry. You'll have no friends according to this story. No, that's not true. The whole idea here is you were given an opportunity because of someone you knew. That's why community is so important. You know, we don't just come here because it's a duty Sunday we go to church. We come here because this is a community that is serving and helping each other. Because then when I do fall into straits, someone could say, hey, I know someone who can help you. You, You're having some physical problems, I know a doctor. You're having financial problems, hey, I know a guy who's looking for someone to work. And so we start filling in those needs. And so in this story, Jesus is saying, the people in this world know how to use their money to advance their life. And that we are to use what we have, even financially, to advance the things of God. To advance our lives in this area. It's not just about making the money. It's about what you do with the money you make. Again, it can be useful for eternal purposes. And so many times we think, well, no, God is against money because the love of money is the root of all evil. So money is bad. No, it's the love of money. It's working just for the money, but actually God will use those things. And the scripture talks about, well, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow plentiful, you'll reap plentiful. It's not about the money. It's about the influence and what we do with that money. And you see, we have gotten into a place where money is used for consumption. I don't remember how much I used to make when I was a kid, you know, allowance. I remember what my neighbor made, though. Isn't that weird? Because he made $10 a week, and I know I didn't make anywhere near that. But when I got my allowance, my allowance was to buy things. It was to buy candy, it was to buy toys, it was to buy comic books, it was to buy whatever I wanted. And what happened to me, and I think to a lot of people, is money started becoming something that we use to consume the things that we desire, the things that we want. The problem is we keep wanting And the things that we want keep getting more expensive. And I need it. Why? Because it's new. It's better. It's cool. It's faster. It's in style. Leave my iPhone alone. (laughs) 
And pretty soon, we consume just to consume. And we've made it easy to consume because now there's credit cards. I remember our first credit card. Oh, happy day. (laughs) With our credit card, I got a nice stereo system. I got a nice TV. It was huge. It was a 36-inch television. Yeah, it weighed about 500 pounds. We also got a video VHS recorder. Yeah, that's right. And this one had five heads, count them. High definition. Why? Because I liked high definition. I liked hearing my music. I liked watching my videos on VHS, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars. I remember it with surround sound. Oh, man, this is like a theater in that 36-inch TV. And we spent the money because, yeah, we can make payments. Why? Because I want it. I want it now. And then someone stole all our stuff. And I was still making payments. I know. It's just like, let's have a moment of silence as we recall this moment in my life. But you see, we want it, and so we consume it. In the United States, this is the U.S. household consumer debt profile. The average credit card debt is $15,607. The average mortgage is $153,500. The average student loan debt is $32,656. In total, American consumers owe $11.63 trillion in debt. Roughly 77 million Americans, or 35% of adults with a credit file, have a report of debt in collections. And so this consumer mentality has ravished our country. And we're not spending within our means, we're spending within our wants, and we're desiring, and we're desiring And the desires start to carry us. The momentum of our life is now in spending. It's now in buying. It's now in consuming. It's not an investment for the most part. All this is is for your pleasure. You get that because you want it. And we don't think of it as having an influence on the world, and really it's not. It's only having an influence on us. And so maybe the momentum of our lives in this area of influence and power of finances has been one of just consumption. And so your resources are used just for you. And maybe they're not even used for you as far as an investment. You're not putting money away so that you can buy a house. You're not putting money away so that you can retire. Maybe it's just your spending so that you can have. And this is a condition of the heart. James talks about this in James chapter 4, verse 1. And I love J.B. Phillips' translation. He says, But about the feuds and struggles that exist among you, where do you suppose they come from? Can't you see they arise from conflicting passions within yourselves? You crave for something and don't get it. You're jealous and envious of what others have got and you don't possess it yourselves. Consequently, 
in your exasperated frustration. I love that. You struggle and fight with one another. You don't get what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you do ask, he doesn't give it to you for you ask in quite the wrong spirit. You only want to satisfy your own desires. And so James is talking about this consumer mentality. You just want. It's just for you. Why do they have it? I want that. And so we're envious of what others have because we don't have that. You know, when I do the dog training, I'll go into some homes and I'll walk into homes. And, you know, when you walk into a home and you go like this, oh, you know, I don't do that in my home. Okay. If I do that, I'd go, yep, there's a ceiling. You know, there's no pillars and there's no marble wall columns. You know, there's no big paintings. You know, there, it's, it's a house. But you walk into some of these places and you're overlooking the ocean. You're standing on, you know, some kind of limestone, whatever, you know, brought from Rome. And you're just like, wow, you know, yes, my dog. <laughs> Yeah, okay, you know, my dog is going to the bathroom on this $1,000, you know, rug. It's like, yeah, I think you're going to have to pay me more money. No, uh, <laughs> you just start to realize, man, I'd like to live here. I'd like that view. I'd change the dog. <laughs> and it's real easy to get envious. You start desiring and why are you wanting? Well, I just want it for me. And it becomes just about me. This consumer mentality, it's all about me. I remember when I was in a band years ago. We were a band that would play at different churches and youth groups. And I remember one of the other guitar player in the band, we were talking about money. And he says, you know, I, I don't give to a church. I, I give to a ministry. I thought, oh, that's interesting. He goes, because I feel like God is working in that ministry and I want to give towards that ministry. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. What ministry do you give to? And he said, mine. <laughs> I'm in a band and I give to my ministry. And so I use the money that I would give to God and I buy more equipment. And I'm like, that's a sweet deal, you know? <laughs> that, that, that is easy on the conscience, isn't that? I just, oh yeah, I'm going to get more equipment for you, God, for you, God. I need that new pedal. But it fits into this mentality. It's about what I can get and what I can consume. And what starts to happen is we start missing the opportunities of how we can influence, not just the world around us, but how we can influence our lives into a proper form of worship. A friend of mine who I've been communicating with quite a bit, he's in another state. He had some issues, some problems, some addictions, and because of those problems and addictions, it, it caused turmoil in his life. He lost his job. They did a drug test. He didn't pass. And so he was homeless. And I would get calls from him and, and we've helped him out quite a bit. And, you know, you're trying to help, but you're trying to be responsible because he's got other problems. You're not going to finance his problems, but you want them to continue moving along. You want him to move forward in his life. 
And so he's going to these different places to get help and, and food and shelter, Salvation Army. And he went to this one house, it was called the prayer house, where they would feed the people who were homeless. And, and I get a call from him, from him one day and he's telling me, and he's very excited because he, he knows about God and he knows about the Lord and this house is you know, a Christian place. And so he said, I went into this home that was serving all the people the food. And I saw they had a stage and they had a setup and they had some equipment there, band equipment, and I felt like I need to give them my guitar. And so I gave them my guitar. And I thought, well, that's great. That's really neat. You know, how, that was neat of you to do something like that. He said, and then the guy who, when I gave the guitar to him, he said, hey, wait here. The guy went and he came back and the guy told me, I've been waiting for the right person to do this for, and you're the person. And he gave me $100. Now, the guitar was worth more than $100, and he wasn't expecting anything, but he got $100. And he was telling me, just weeping, because he felt like God heard me, and I said, God, I'm going to give this to you, and I felt like God gave me $100, and I was excited for him, I was great, and now you can you know, take care of some of the needs that you have and get maybe back on your feet. And that happened like on a Friday, and then he went to a church Sunday, and when he was there in church, listening to the talk, as the offering was going and they started passing the bucket or plate. I don't know what they off, they do there. But as it started coming towards him, he felt like God said, do you really trust me? Because if you really trust me, I want you to put all of the money in the offering. And so he told me, I put all the money in the offering. He told me Sunday. And I'm thinking... That wasn't really smart. You're going to kind of need some money. Don't be calling me to give you some money because you had money and you put it in the offering. But I'm not saying that. I'm just thinking that, okay? I'm just letting you know what a man of faith I am, you know? <laughs> and so he puts all the money in the offering and he says, God put on my heart to put this. And so I did. And I'm like, cool. That's great. That's foolish, but okay. And I'm praying, God, help him. Monday, he meets with one of the pastors there at the church who didn't know anything about all this that happened, knew him vaguely. He didn't attend the church regularly or hadn't for quite some time. He told the pastor about his problem with work, his addiction issues, and the pastor says, you know what? The church is going to sponsor you to a drug program. It's six months. Cost $600 a month. We'll pay the bill for six months. He calls me. Again, he's crying, and I'm crying now too. Because I'm thinking, oh God, I didn't have that faith. But he did. And you see, it's not like if you give, you're going to get. But what happens is when you start to influence, it has an effect on everything around you, including you. In Luke chapter 6, 
Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is not just about God judging you. This is about living in the world around you. You see, people who are always judging are people who are always going to have judgment. People who are always condemning are going to be people who are quick to be condemned. And people who are always giving are going to find opportunities opening all around them. Because a generous person draws generosity. And when you give it's going to open opportunities that will be pressed down, shaken together, running over. Because you posture your life in a position that now draws this to you. It's because that's how God has instructed things. That's how God has orchestrated things. The least will be the greatest. If you want to be great, become the servant of all. It's God's economy. This is what he does. This is how he does it. And if we want to see our lives have an influence and effect on the world around us and on us, then we need to be people who use what we have and the power that it wields to bring influence that will change for the better those that we encounter. And so the question is then, how do we use what we have? You see, when we were putting together this series about momentum, I was talking to some people in the leadership and we were talking about topics and we talked about love, we talked about addiction, and one of the topics was finances. How do we talk about finances? And the problem is whenever someone at a church talks about finances, everyone goes, oh, he's talking about finance, hold your wallet, you know, here it comes, here it comes. But we don't realize that there is power in our use of finances, few weeks ago when we were going through our core value series, when we talked about creativity is the natural result of spirituality, we looked at the parable of the servant who got the talents. To some he got 10, some more. And the one who only got 10 buried it. The others invested it and it grew. And we talked about how God gives us value and we're supposed to do something with that. That includes money. That includes our finances. But if our finances are used for consumption, we will find ourselves envious, we will find ourselves coveting, we will find ourselves never having enough. It's interesting to me, many times I'll go into these homes, again, these are multi-million dollar homes. And I walk in there to train the dog and I have to interact with the people as well as the dog for a good period of time, sometimes three or four hours. And I'm talking, explaining what I'm doing to the people this whole time. And it takes a lot just talking, you know, for hours. And I'll go into a home that isn't wealthy, that's a lot lower income. Some that are actually pretty, you know, sparse as far as the home is concerned. And I get invited for dinner. I get offered water, coffee at these homes where there's little more than I do at the homes that there are a lot. 
Not all the time. There are generous people who have a lot as well. But it's just interesting. There is this mentality, hey, you're here, what can I do? And they're generous. And it shows in their lives. Are we going to be people who are generous and use what we have to influence the culture around us? You see, Paul, by his faith in Jesus, changed the economic structure just because of how people worshipped. The money wasn't going to idols. It wasn't going to the sacrifices. But it was still going. It was going and it was supplying for those churches that were in need, the people that were in need, for those who were going and proclaiming this gospel message. It started being used, and so it started gaining momentum and spreading this incredible message throughout all of Asia. Why? Because of the momentum of this worship that included their finances. As we've been talking about this, many of you, if you've been here at Genesis for any period of time, know that Genesis, we don't haven't collected or taken an offering. We always just have the barrel in the back. And through this last summer, things have gotten really tight financially, where we're having to make adjustments, because if we don't, then we won't be here. And, and if the adjustments don't change, then we might not be able to meet at the school. We'll meet somewhere else. And, and so we have talked and prayed saying, okay, we're, we're going to start doing some things. And so today we're going to take an offering for the first time. And we're going to start doing it. It doesn't mean we're going to do it forever, but we feel it's a need to present to us, the community, hey, there are needs here. Because at Genesis, it's not just paying for rent. It's not just paying a salary for me. We have to pay licensing fees. We have to pay insurance fees. We have to pay phone fees for the Verizon uh, network that we use. We have to pay a lot of different things, insurance fees. We have to have insurance when we come into these kinds of places. There's a lot of money that has to go towards making us happen. And I don't tell you about these things every every day, you know, or every week. Every day I'm going to call you, hey, just want to let you know. (laughs) Edisonville's do, yeah. We, we don't do this regularly, and it's my fault for maybe not making it known as much as I should. But I want you to know that there are needs that we have, and if they don't get met, then we'll have to maybe meet in another location that doesn't cost as much. And, and what we're doing here isn't like it's exorbitant. We're not spending a lot of money on things. And I'm not going to stop spending some of our money on other things. We are still building the cafeteria in Haiti. Okay, you guys did that. $20,000. I would rather meet in a home and build the cafeteria in Haiti than have a building and not do those things. I'll just go to Haiti and live in a cafeteria. (laughs) Maybe I'll get some free food too. So we don't want to stop influencing but i also want to influence our community and the things that we're doing here and so the changes that we're making the first one is we're going to start taking the offering i hope if you guys know us you know the intention behind that 
Second thing that we've done is I've taken a cut in salary. Don't freak out. Oh, poor Sam. I'm not saying it to you know make you feel sorry. I feel that as the pastor, I need to be the one who sets an example of what needs to happen in our lives, and I'm happy to do so. Okay, that's why I'm happy I do dog training too. Okay, so if I have, have to take a cut here, I, it's not going to stop me from living. And you see, one of the things about Genesis, just so you know me, if Genesis were to fold and next week we could not meet here, I wouldn't go look for another job somewhere else. I'd call up some people and say, what are you guys doing Sunday? Let's get together. You can meet at my house. I have fun. Food. It'll be good. Because this is my family. I, I'm not looking for something else. I, I'm, I'm in this because it's who I am. It's who I want to be with this community. We didn't start thinking, yeah, we're going to do this great, have this thing. Yeah, we want to see God use us and build this com- community to reach the community around us. But if it were to run out of money tomorrow, I would still meet with the people I love and we'd still have get together. Alex, bring the guitar, start playing some songs. Alex, other Alex, bring some burritos. And let's have church. Because we don't go to church, we are the church. And so I, I present this to us as a community to show how finances and worship that encompass all of who we are will influence the world around us. It did with Paul, and it can with us. If we are wise in how we take and use these resources, we can make a difference in the community around us because we will be able to use those things to help those children maybe at the foster home, to be able to help the kids at the school like we do with Healthy Start, to be able to do more of those kinds of things, to maybe develop things to help the homeless or even partner with some churches that already are, which we want to do. How we worship is to influence. And so I ask you and I'm asking myself to think about how we worship God with this area of finances? Is it being used in a powerful way to bring influence? Or are we being consumers? Money comes just so I can help. Some of you are generous in how you give. I'm not asking you to dig deeper. I'm not asking anyone to do something that God doesn't put on their heart to do. Some people are visiting, I'm not asking you to give anything. You're visiting here, I don't don't feel pressured to give. If you want to give, sure, we're not going to say no. But it's not something we want to put pressure on you for. And then there's some here who come regularly, enjoy the community that this has, and maybe something has spoken to you saying, you know what, you need to be a part of what is going on and having influence And maybe you can give, you decide how much. Okay, that's between you and God. We're not here to put requirements on you. We're not here to tell you this is the limit. You know, it's a minimum of this to do this. But I know that if we will take a step in this area, that it will not just change 
how Genesis functions, but it'll actually start to change you. And what happened with my friend might be a, a unique circumstance. But those are the things that God does when we step into a place where we say, okay, I'm going to give, and God says, then it'll be given. Shake down, press down, flowing over will be given to you. Why? Because you just moved into an area where God can now flow and work in your life through you because this is the proper form of worship. And so I'm going to pray, and the, the band is going to come on up, and we're going to pray for the offering for the first time. You guys don't know how struggled I am with this. You know, I, For years, we're not going to take an offering, but it's the, we felt the right thing to do. But let's have the band come up, and let's take a moment and pray. Father, when I read what happened through Paul and his influence, Lord, even in the middle of a riot, he wanted to get up and speak, and they had to stop him. They probably would have killed him if he went and spoke in that riot, but he was so persuaded to use his life for you that it changed the lives of everybody around him. And Lord, I would like to see Genesis change the communities of Upland, Rancho, Claremont, all our surrounding cities. I would like what we do and how we worship to have an effect on them. Lord, that if we were to ever be gone, the community would say, wow, we really miss them. They were a blessing. They changed who we were. And so, Father, to, to be an influence, we need to take all of who we are and offer it to you as living sacrifices, our whole person. Lord, how we think, how we sing, and how we consume, how we give. And so as we take this offering, Lord, we do it in your name, Jesus, and for your cause. And Lord, we consider it worship. And we are grateful for what we have. And we rejoice whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. Father, we belong to you. Take who we are, all of what we are, and allow it to be a pleasing sacrifice to you. And may we transform the way we think. May our minds be renewed to not think of finances as something for consumption, but think of it as something of powerful influence, that we would be shrewd and we would invest in things that have eternal value. We'd invest in the lives of people and your work in the lives of people. And Lord, may we be a part of that life. Use this offering for your glory, Lord. We thank you again for this morning, for our time together. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.